America's Political Pipeline. I'm David Bernkoff. I'm Rebecca Polshin. And we are here to tell you all things <laughs> about all politics and Anchorage and in the state of Alaska. But first of all, we want to ask you what? Please like us. Like us. Follow <laughs> us, friend us, whatever it is you do on your podcast platform of choice. They all have some way so that you know when a new episode is arriving. And it also helps us all get larger Christmas bonuses. <laughs> oh, is that what no, it leads to? No, it does n- has absolutely... I'll make sure to take that to the news director. <laughs> it, it has absolutely no effect on that. Also, send us emails. We want to hear if this is helpful or if more what you want to hear or less of what you want to hear. Very available for context. We want to know. We want to connect with you. Today, just today, mm-hmm. we hear about another lawsuit filed against the municipality of Anchorage. And this one is by Heather McAlpine. McAlpine, sorry. Um, she's already filed a lawsuit uh, in state court, and now there's a federal lawsuit, and it says she was fired in retaliation for acting as a whistleblower uh, in a case where she was the former, she is the former director of the Office of Equal Opportunity, and in the Mayor Dave Bronson administration, and she was investigating claims against the then library director Judy Elledge. Yep. And those complaints involved all sorts of things of, you know, uh, alleged uh, racist Racism. comments, racist worker. Um, abuse. There were a range of things, and she was checking into them, and then she ends up getting fired and says that she's undeserving of that. And the only reason she was fired was because the library director was a friend of the mayor, Mm -hmm. and the mayor was protecting her. Of course, the mayor, in response to these suits, has not said much. No. um, And that is in line with uh, their stance that has been anything that is the subject of a lawsuit or even a potential lawsuit, they're not going to talk about. Yep. And I know that in the investigative unit, we had actually done a little digging around the library director who ended up leaving the job last fall and was then replaced by someone else who seems to be operating in a much more quiet manner. The assembly approved that person very quickly and we never really got to the bottom of what was going on other than we were hearing things that were being investigated, but mm-hmm. we never found any of that um, to be true or not true. We just didn't succeed in that effort. But this has been an ongoing... And Judy's still with the library, too. Is she? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But she doesn't have that position. She's not as, the head. Right. And there were comments at the time, allegations, that she had told people that she was uh, untouchable because she was so close to the mayor. Um, and she's a, you know, she's a prominent Alaskan figure who has fundraisers and is a well-known name and has run for office. So pe- she's known, people know her pretty well. Um, and definitely that circle. And one of the interesting things about this most recent suit is after it was filed in recent days, then the municipality filed a request for a gag order against <laughs> Heather McElpine uh, and her attorneys. Um, it's focusing mostly on whether the depositions that would be taken in this case could be 
released by uh, one side or another. And obviously, the municipality is saying, we want to preemptively because you, get an order that you can't do Yeah, because you taint the pool. Right. You damage the our ability to get a fair trial. No one has threatened to release those depositions, but they have certainly... Um, the the party that is suing has said we're just not we don't want to even talk about that because it's not something that's appropriate at this time to mm-hmm. litigate you know if you have a problem with what we do go back to a judge then gag orders sometimes are issued sometimes not it, it's that gets into the legal weeds that <laughs> we really don't know about right but it is interesting because it fits in with the mayor's office, again, not only not commenting to the news media or to the public, but also wanting to keep the other side in this lawsuit from talking to us about the case. Which segues into what I want to hear from you, uh, the assembly meeting this week. Yeah, we've obviously covered these very contentious um, assembly meetings where many in the assembly are clearly fed up with the mayor not answering direct questions. And the mayor is clearly fed up with the assembly asking him the same questions over and over again. He feels like, you guys know I'm not going to answer these. Why do you keep doing it? Mm -hmm. But yet the dance keeps playing out. And this week, there was a particularly amusing one, I thought, where assembly person Meg Zalatel, after the mayor finished a written statement that dealt with the future of Anchorage. How to make it more attractive, how to retain people here, that kind of thing, which has been worked on for, for a while now. Right. They're going to like plan to put more signs up, which is a big deal yeah, in town. It was like more park benches and just, you know, uh, the uh, Mike Robinson who came in this week to talk on the newscast had talked about uh, one of the proposals that people want is a more attractive downtown so that it's an idea to have loans for small businesses to make their buildings look more attractive to people who are walking downtown. And 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 so it's, it's kind of like here is how we recruit people to Alaska. Here's what people want, more outside dining, more park benches, more trails, things that make us special. And, and things that make it easier to yeah. get around, know where you're going, all of that. Uh, I remember attending a presentation by someone, a consultant who had been hired. And mm-hmm. he he said the number one thing that he found in his research was that the signage around town is very poor and people get lost. They don't know where they're supposed to turn. You mentioned you mentioned Ships Creek, which was oh, interesting. You know, the thing is, I love, I run a lot. Um, and especially in the summer, I love to run. So I, one of my favorite places is to run through Ship Creek because I like to have a little break to watch people fish. It's just this magical thing to happen. And I'm not Very kidding. unique. Very unique. Where else are you going to go and there's like a downtown with people fishing for salmon? And like king salmon. It's amazing. It's gorgeous. Um, big fan of Ship Creek, by the way. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> but it's this magical experience. But in the summer, I'm not kidding. I will have two to three people who clearly are tourists stop me to ask me how to get to Ship Creek to see the people fishing. And there are, you know, unless you live here, I'm not sure what's great directions, really, unless we had some cute little fish maybe pointing people down to Ship Creek. You know, just the signage is not great. I got lost the first three times. I think I kept spinning around Third Avenue or something. But but now I know where it is. But, yeah, if you're a tourist, you... It's a little bit hidden. Yeah, and, and you ought to see it because it is special. 
but so the mayor had finished his statement about that plan, and within that statement, he mentioned that there were ongoing issues in the municipality about hiring and retaining employees. Mm -hmm. He finished his statement, and Meg Zalatel says, Mr. Mayor, could you expand on that problem and how you intend to deal with it? And, and retain people and recruit people. Right. And the mayor's response immediately was to say, well, I'm going to defer to my acting municipal manager, Mr. Colhase. He's the expert in that. And she said, no, I think the people of Anchorage want to hear from you. And this is an important issue, and they want to know how you're handling it. And his response was, well, a lot of us would like a lot of things, but I'm going to ask Mr. Colhase, the expert, to answer your question. Uh. And then her response was basically, and I'm not quoting here, but I am giving a fair gist of it, I think, don't bother. If yeah. you can't answer the question... That conversation was shut down. I don't need to hear from him. And I don't know that... We didn't learn anything other than that the Assembly and the mayor continue to be at each other's throats. Yeah. And who knows if that will ever end. But it was a particularly sharp exchange because perhaps the Assembly would have gotten useful information from the acting municipal manager, but no one was interested in the buck being passed to no. someone else. They wanted to hear from the mayor, mm -hmm. who just doesn't respond terribly often to questions like that. Mm -hmm. So there you go. The assembly and the mayor continue <laughs> to be at each other's throats. <laughs> now, we move from Ooh. Anchorage to a issue that's gotten some national attention. This is now. huge national attention. Yeah. Um, I've interviewed uh, State House Representative David Eastman mm -hmm. about you know, whether he could keep his seat. He won that case. He was reelected. But he kind of stepped into it again this week, didn't he? He did. He was at a hearing. Um, Trevor Stores with the, um, I can't remember the full name of the group, but he it's a advocacy group that fights against child abuse and to help children. And it was the strangest line of questioning, and I still do not understand how he got there all the way, where he essentially said, asked a question about, would it be ch cheaper for children to die than to be having to use state services if they were sexually abused or physically abused? And and he was censured for that, and he was the only vote against that. But it, he has said that he was linking it to abortion issues. But Trevor Stores has said their group does not take a stance on abortion issues. And so he wasn't even sure where that came from as well. What was odd about it, and this is clear when you look at the video, it wasn't just a, a kind of side comment no. and then he moved on. Because the person being asked the question asked him to repeat the question. It was like, oh, what are you saying? I didn't hear that right. Yeah, yeah you, I couldn't have heard that right. And he went back and said... You know, it, an abused child who survives, that costs a lot of money mm -hmm. for, the services, for the state and services. And wouldn't we save money uh, if the child died? And he's not that he was hoping the child would die, but yeah. it was definitely he was making a point that for certain extreme cases, I guess yeah, it's you know it's it's cheaper. He didn't say better, but cheaper for the state to not have to keep. Um, worrying about services for that child. 
And then the answer was, you know, there are costs that go beyond the financial yeah, costs. Yeah, Trevor kind of got into that, you know, with it was like the trauma and the lingering effects and, and, and just like the, the idea that children, that are, that's not measurable. That's not measurable to say, you know, what it, what it costs for a child to die. How do you measure the cost of a dead child? Yeah. And how to the family and to friends. And to and society. Society. And, it was um, a very strange line of questioning, and he was almost unanimously censured. His lone vote was the <laughs> only vote to not censure him. But I don't know what that – it doesn't really mean doesn't, much going it, forward. You know, it, it was interesting. I was reading the Alaska Beacon, and they had a nice article about this one. And it says, you know, essentially it, it doesn't do anything. But to the lawmakers, they feel like coming out like this and saying something like this is a strong stance and it's an action on their part. Craig Johnson had said that. It was an action on his part. So in their minds, it is a big deal, although it doesn't come with anything like you lose power or you lose money or you lose something from your behavior. It's just your peers say you should be censored. Yeah, they're not removing him yeah. from any committees. No. They're not beginning an impeachment process. It's... Like this a, was a bad thing to say, and we all think we all it's think. a bad thing. Like a thing. public chastising. Right. A public chastising. And I don't know whether uh, this is the end of it. And uh, this is not the first time that's happened to him with David Eastman. You know, so this is – he has made comments in the past about, you know, uh, Alaska Native women uh, getting pregnant on purpose to get abortions in Anchorage so that it can be flown to Anchorage. And he's got, he got censured for that comment as well. Um, that was a few years ago, but he, you know, he's been reelected three times. Right. It would. It is important to note that even after many of these controversies, he was just reelected. Mm -hmm. People of his district, I guess, they're okay with it. Yeah. And we, they obviously haven't endorsed this because it just happened. Yeah, just but we'll see in another year and a half or whatever if he runs for reelection. But as of now, he's won several times and there doesn't seem to be any movement to remove him and so i assume he'll stay and maybe one day he will sit down and do an interview uh, and explain that in more detail i know a friendly conservative podcast had offered him some space hmm. to put those remarks into context i don't know if he's accepted that that would be interesting to hear if he has a context that's different from what was quite clear in the, I mean, it, it, it didn't, wasn't a short little no. thing. It, it went on for a couple of minutes and he made himself quite clear, I think. Oh, yeah. And he, you know, he speaks for himself. You were at his trial um, with the, um, when it was Joe Miller who was representing him as his attorney, Joe Miller, who had run against Murkowski and beat her in the primary. Um, but, he, you know, when you had gone up to Eastman and asked for a comment and Joe Miller had said, no, no, I've got my client, you know, kind of typical lawyer stuff. And But he spoke for himself about about his hearing and being associated with Oath Keepers and yeah. his time in D.C. during so, the six, January 6th riots. Right. So he he's not a person who runs from his beliefs. Mm -hmm. And maybe he will share some further thoughts in the future with us or with other news media. Absolutely. It would be an interesting interview to conduct. And as always, if you're listening, Representative Eastman, we <laughs> would be glad to have you on the podcast. We would love to speak with you. Right. Joining me now for the second part of 
this week's podcast is our political reporter, our brand new, almost brand new political reporter, Elena Sims. Welcome to the pipeline. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to have you, and I hope we'll have you more, because one of the things that you are doing that's very valuable is trying to keep track of what's happening in the state capitol in Juneau. And one of the most significant things that's happening now is also one of the hardest things to understand, and that is the governor's proposal related to carbon capture and offset. And I'm just going to speak for the greater population those are words we may have heard, but we don't understand. So if you could start off, just sort of walk us through what it is the governor's talking about and tell us what that means. What is carbon capture and what is carbon offset? I think the issue is as complicated as it appears, perhaps unfortunately, but I want to take us back to one of the big pillars of this governor's administration heading into his second term, Governor Dunleavy spoke a lot at his inaugural address and since about Alaskan-driven resource development of Alaska resources. What exactly does that mean? Well, a lot of it means escaping federal oversight. And he's talked a few times about EPA regulations and executive actions from the Biden administration limiting Alaska's ability to develop its own resources. Part of what's folded into that is a new effort to spearhead carbon management in the state of Alaska like never before. Alaska Native corporations already do this all over the state from the southeast to the interior. These new bills propose opening up carbon management on public lands and using public dollars. What is entailed in this? What? Let's start with carbon capture. What does that even mean? Carbon capture is one of the teeth of Governor Dunleavy's plans for carbon management in Alaska. And carbon capture is part of a longer acronym, Capture Utilization and Storage, also known as CCUS. It's SB49 and HB50. Those are the bill numbers. Those are the bill numbers posed to the Alaska State Legislature this session. And what carbon capture, which is sort of the abbreviated form, proposes to do is mitigate some of the harm from carbon emissions by utilizing natural resources that otherwise would exist. So, for example, trees capture a lot of carbon naturally, kelp that can capture carbon naturally. The other option is sequestering the carbon underground in underground man-made reservoirs. So would they have to, like, dig holes in the ground? Is that literally what we're talking about? Yeah, they would have to dig very deep holes in the ground. And there are places that you can do this in Alaska. We have a lot of land, um, but especially the depleted oil and gas fields, saline aquifers, and deep coal seams that have significant CO2 CO2 storage options. And so you would create a system where you somehow are gathering carbon from manufacturing, from oil industry, carrying it to these reservoirs and pumping it underground. In a nutshell, carbon capture is removing carbon emissions physically from one place and putting them somewhere else. Is this a technology that even exists today in large scale? The technology does exist. The science jury is still out on 
how successful these ventures exactly are because we haven't been doing them for that long. So there's no substantive longitudinal studies that can tell us that. And then, so that's carbon capture. Then there's carbon offset, and that's something else entirely, right? Yeah, exactly. Carbon offsets, they're also known as carbon credits. And the basic idea is that corporations that are responsible for carbon emissions can buy into a system where those emissions themselves are not necessarily reduced, but you can buy into resources and a system that manages those resources that are tied to a dollar amount and the market that could, quote unquote, offset the damage from those original emissions. So the idea there, correct me if I'm wrong, is I'm smoking a cigarette. You're not stopping me from smoking the cigarette. I'm still smoking the cigarette, but you're going to figure out some other thing somewhere else that will take an equal amount of cigarette smoke out of the air, maybe halfway around the world, and I will somehow pay you to do that. Is that, is that at all close to what the system is? No, that's exactly how the system works. Uh, for example, if you measure carbon emissions and you, say, you can say, I'm responsible for three tons of carbon in the atmosphere right now, then you can buy acreage of forests, for example, that can take that three tons out, in theory. Right, in theory. Not necessarily your three tons, just some three tons somewhere, somehow. Exactly. All right. Now, pardon me again. This sounds like a system or two systems that are not ready to generate revenue today. Exactly. Uh, this is potentially a long-term solution and a long-term revenue source. And I think Governor Dunleavy would agree with you. He said, quote-unquote, in a press release in January, I'm asking lawmakers to take this legislation seriously as the cornerstone of a long-term fiscal solution that complements revenue from oil and gas in the permanent fund. Do they define what a long-term solution is? Not really. <laughs> and I think that's... It's often easy for politicians to write a press release, schedule a hearing, and talk about a great plan that is going to generate revenue. It's a whole other thing when they have to get specific on how much revenue is it going to generate and when will it generate that revenue. And you have not, in your coverage, seen those answers given clearly, have you? There are revenue projections. However, they don't come from the, any state consultancy group. They come from BCG, Boston Consulting Group. Obviously, the nature of the beast of consultants is they don't really have any skin in the game when you're talking about long-term solutions and long-term problems. Do you think that the state legislature or the even the national representatives from Alaska have a deep understanding of how this system will work. You have one experience in particular, didn't you, that answers that, maybe? I did. Uh, I put the question to Representative Mary Peltola after she had already received a question from Representative Allard earlier that day when she gave her address to the joint session of the legislature quite recently. And Representative Peltola's response was that 
She was looking into the issue and was excited to learn more. She said she felt optimistic that this could generate revenue for Alaska, but it was quite clear that she really didn't have much background in the subject, um, despite being several weeks into the legislative session. And the plans for carbon management from this governor's administration are not a surprise. They're not an overnight shock that he's proposed the two bills that are in the legislature now. So I found it mysterious that there wasn't a firmer answer for Alaskans because this is such a big message that the governor is promoting. Is it possible that these are very complicated issues and in terms of legislators, whether they're in Washington or whether they're in Juneau, they are really just getting a handle on this. I think that's an excellent question. And my answer is that I think it speaks to the importance of people in Alaska educating themselves and not relying on their legislators to make informed decisions. Do, do they know yet? Have they identified where all this activity will happen? Because one of the things that's unique about Alaska got a lot of land. There's a lot of potential for where you can plant trees, where you can put reservoirs of carbon. But there's also a lot of places that are hard to get to. This is a totally new infrastructure that you're going to have to build. Have they gotten to a point where they even know where they would put stuff yet? That's a really good question. I think it speaks to the reality of the fact that we don't actually know very much about Alaskan topography and the ecology in most corners of the state because it's so remote. For example, NASA, in collaboration with other international space organizations, have released a surface water and oceans telescope into the atmosphere. And Alaska is an early, early adopter for that telescope. So what that means is that satellite and the telescope, it's coming here to photograph our waterways, our streams, and our rivers, and so on, because we don't have very much scientifically significant or useful information. Many parts of Alaska, it just doesn't make logical sense, and it doesn't make sense for the bottom line to try and set up a large-scale carbon management program. Uh, we don't know if there are lots of places we don't know if we can plant trees. We don't know if the trees that are already there are particularly useful. That's something else that's interesting. Part of the science is, okay, well, kelp or a tree will take some carbon, but you have to pick which trees, which kind of kelp, where are you going to create these systems? Because you might find that in certain places you plant a tree and it takes 30 years before it generates any significant carbon capture. Built into carbon management is the reality that offsets and capture, it'll take years to see the dividends. Carbon is released into the atmosphere every second of every day. So by the time the payoff for carbon management catches up to the upfront investment, it's not quite clear what that balance sheet will look like because you can't know. That's decades, decades down the road. That's so interesting. I, my sense of it is, and I don't know, that, again, I don't think there's an answer to this at this stage. It's an interesting idea. Science is working on it. Some states are a little further ahead than other states. And when you're in a situation like this world is in, you take a chance on things. But it is a long time before either the state of Alaska generates a trillion dollars in revenue or the state of Alaska even knows exactly how a system will operate and 
what the environmental benefit of that system is, right? Exactly. And I think a lot of question a lot of questions that people need to be asking about carbon management is how it ties into pursuit of renewables in Alaska. For example, a rhetorical question you might ask is why not invest in renewables? Why are we investing in carbon? We know this comes from industrial sources. Is this a license for corporations to pollute or feel less guilty about the emissions that they are responsible for? That is a philosophical question that we will never be able to answer on this podcast. (laughs) But it is an important question. I don't mean to make light of it because the issue, I think what you're outlining is if you create this system that allows uh, carbon emitters to continue to emit carbon and not feel so bad about it because they've got a system to offset it, are you in fact slowing the transition to renewables? I remember posing a really similar question to the Deputy Commissioner of Alaska's Department of Natural Resources. And his response was, was very measured and very fair. And he said that, in, an, in a nutshell, I'm not directly quoting him, that they don't necessarily have to cancel each other out. We can hunt down renewable solutions and carbon capture in the meantime, as if the offsets and the sequestration is some sort of stopgap. And that's a, that's a fair answer. But then what I would ask as an Alaskan is, well, what are the goalposts then for renewables moving forward? How can we do more than signal a commitment to renewables? Another question that I think Alaskans need to ask themselves is a question of principle. Should public lands bear the brunt of what very wealthy corporations are responsible for? Another philosophical question that is beyond the ability of Alaska's political pipeline to answer today. But I want to thank you for coming in. I I think I learned more about this in our few minutes together, and I hope our audience has learned more about it, because it is clear, whatever the future holds, that this is going to be something that we move forward on in Alaska. How big we move forward, when we see revenue, all that, we don't know. But you would agree this is likely to be a part of Alaska's future, wouldn't you? I can't picture an Alaska without its oil and gas industry. Once again, we urge you to follow us, like us, keep us in your thoughts on your podcast platform of choice so that you will know when we have our next episode up and running. And again, we want you to reach out to us. Twitter is the best way, but you can also find our emails at alaskasnewsource.com, Rebecca and I. David Burnkoff, Rebecca Palsha. We will see you next time.